0: Hey listeners, if you enjoyed our latest podcast with Mike Bros, the chief empowerment officer of the Mental Health Association of Oklahoma, then you will surely enjoy their new podcast, The Mental Health Download. I particularly enjoyed listening to how we can utilize video games to improve our mental health in the episode with Dr. Adam Galezi, can video games revolutionize mental health? We will be playing the full episode for you here. In this bonus episode. Mental health impacts our lives in a profound way, yet the social stigma attached to mental illness and addiction keeps so many of our family members, friends, colleagues, and neighbors silent. Why are we so afraid to talk about these issues? The Mental Health Association of Oklahoma, a statewide nonprofit advocacy agency, created the Mental Health Download Podcast to start thoughtful discussions about mental illness, suicide, homelessness, and incarceration. You do not want to miss these monthly conversations about innovations in mental health, how to make your voice heard as an advocate, and even fun ways that will elevate your mind in a very big way. Make sure you never miss an episode. Subscribe to and follow the Mental Health Download on SoundCloud today.
1: You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association, Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. Each month on our program, we take on one of four themes that are too big to ignore. Mental illness, suicide, incarceration, and homelessness. On today's episode, I'm going to talk with Dr. Adam Ghazali. He is a professor in neurology, physiology, and psychiatry at UC San Francisco. Dr. Ghazali is also the founder and executive director of Neuroscape, the Translational Neuroscience Center. In addition, Dr. Ghazali is co-founder and chief science advisor of an innovative company developing therapeutic video games. I'm thrilled that Dr. Ghazali will be the closing keynote presenter at our Zero Mental Health Symposium in October. During his presentation, Dr. Ghazali will share his thoughts on the future of the mind and the role video games will play in treating mental health and addiction. Okay, let's get started. The mental health download starts now. So the first thing I'd like to know, Dr. Ghazali, is how technology is influencing and changing how we treat PTSD, ADHD, autism, depression, and more?
2: Well, there's a lot of uh, really exciting uh, technology that's being developed, but uh, its implementation in all those clinical populations is still a bit on the horizon. Uh, but what we're really excited about is to use technology to create interactive experiences that challenge the brain in a, in a targeted way and allows the player or the participant, the patient, the student, Um, to improve their their brain function over time.
1: Can you tell us about the origins of your game NeuroRacer and how it can improve cognitive control abilities in older adults?
2: Sure. So uh, about 10 years ago, I became, I guess, a bit frustrated with my research. Um, We were doing important work on attention and memory and aging and showing how brain networks change as we get older that lead to declines in these abilities but I wanted to do something to help people more directly. And so I had an idea about using technology um, as a therapeutic approach to see if we can improve attention, decrease distraction, improve short-term memory in older adults um, who we had been studying uh, for many years at UCSF. And so um, the idea was to have what, uh, to create what we call a closed-loop video game, meaning that the game um, at all times is detecting your abilities. Um, And then making real-time decisions, essentially, about how you should be challenged so so that you're right in that sweet spot where it's not so hard and frustrating, not so easy and boring, and then also to give you reward and feedback in real-time based upon your performance. And the idea was that this would put pressure on these brain networks, and because our brains have plasticity, meaning that they change and modify themselves in response to experience, the hypothesis was that we'd be able to improve not just gameplay in older adults on this particular game, NeuroRacer, but also other abilities that we were not directly training, like attention and short-term memory, but we felt that by improving the networks involved in gameplay, we'd be able to improve those abilities. And that's what we found in our research study.
1: So here's a fun question. Um, What's your favorite video game, like, growing up? You know, did you have Atari, Nintendo? Oh, yes. I was a
2: major Atari player as a kid. Um, The first video game that I finished, I think some people don't know that this video game can be finished, was a game called Asteroids. Uh, so uh, back in the day, uh, if you remember it, it's just a really simple game. It's like a little triangle, which is your ship, and then these uh, these asteroids, which are basically just line-shaped uh, uh, objects, are approaching you, and you have to move around and, and annihilate them, and then they break into smaller pieces and it gets harder and harder and eventually if you play it long enough as I did when I was a 10 year old um, the entire screen is full of asteroids except for your ship and it says game over so but I, I loved all the Atari games growing up
1: so if you could get your hands on the you know the program code for some of those games that you grew up loving is there any way that you could possibly make them therapeutic
2: well you know there's a couple aspects that goes into that go into making a therapeutic video game and so All of the games that we build at Neuroscape and now Achilles is creating are are built from scratch. And that's because it allows us to really target the game mechanics to activate neural networks exactly the way that we want them. But, um, you know, there are elements of our game design and the principles that we use that could be um, applied to any game to make them, you know, more um, capable of changing the brain. And that's really the closed loop uh, algorithms that we're using and still developing, that ability to pick up on um, very subtle changes in performance in real time. And now even physiological measures like how your heart rate is responding or your skin reactivity, looking at your emotional uh, reactions or even brain activity itself. And feeding that into the game engine, so essentially, it's turning your game, essentially, you know, into an AI that understands you in a very deep way in the moment, um, allowing it to apply just the right type of stimulation and challenge to help you improve uh, your function. <laughs> when your mom back in the day was,
1: you know, complaining about you spending so much screen time uh, playing video games, can you can you now go back? To your parents and be like hey you know this all paid off you know i'm making you know i'm making a difference in the world because i played these video games they inspired me and now i can literally make a difference in elevating minds
2: yeah you know um it was a circuitous route that i took to become a video game developer having done an md uh, a phd in neuroscience a full residency in neurology a postdoc at berkeley but Making video games is a lot of fun. I guess that maybe goes without saying. We get to work with artists and musicians and storytellers and programmers and developers of all sorts, and uh, really try to push the frontiers on what we now describe as digital medicine. And you know, I would say growing up, uh, and in my parents' defense, they really didn't have a problem with me playing video games. They they liked it better than television, was my impression. They, they liked the interactivity. Even when I was a kid, my friend and I used to hack into the code of games and sort of change the rules. Um, so they, they always, uh, um, I don't know if they encouraged it, but they certainly didn't discourage it.
1: <laughs> you know, one of the most interesting topics I've heard you address is the myth of multitasking. So can you tell us if humans can actually multitask?
2: Well, you know, multitasking is a a really challenging term because it could be used as um, to indicate a behavior. So in other words, I'm multitasking because I have two tasks I want to do. Let's say I'm having this phone conversation, also checking my email, which I am not, because I know that although that behavior is multitasking, right, I'm actually doing both of them. What's happening in my brain is that I'm really switching between them and with each switch there's a bit of degradation of performance. So um, anyone that's tried to have a conference call and check it and do their email at the same time or have a conversation and be on you know Twitter at the same time knows just by being introspective that you can't really do these things parallel processing. So multitasking as a behavior is something we do all the time but multitasking as a mechanism of our brain doesn't really occur um, in that manner the What really happens is switching between the brain networks that are involved in more than one attentionally demanding task, and with each switch there's a bit of a degradation of that information that expresses itself as a performance deficit and if you're doing something that's really low level like you know listening to music and you know doing laundry, just things that become really reflexive, then you know it's not a big deal but If you're doing something that really requires high quality and attention, and it's not just work or school, you know, but driving and having conversations with people that you care about, um, you will degrade your ability to do it at the highest level if you choose to multitask.
1: What are the greatest challenges facing you and other innovators as you continue your quest To elevate our minds with technology? Well, there
2: are so many challenges. Um, I will just name a couple that jump to mind uh, immediately. Um, The first and a very real one is that technology has also challenged our brains in some really fundamental ways. Um, I wrote an entire book on this topic called The Distracted Mind and um, recently a piece called The Cognition Crisis, really saying, you know, technology is not solely responsible for challenges that we currently have But we are, um, you know, I I believe increasingly being challenged in terms of our attention, our uh, emotional regulation, empathy, compassion, decision making. Um, We see it in children, um, increases in anxiety and depression associated with suicide. And, you know, a lot of this has been at least, you know, correlationally associated with technology use. And so when you're thinking about technology, I mean, even video games, which, you know, as excited as we are, has its own challenge in terms of overuse of them. You know, we're working from uh, a framework and a a status quo where these technologies have, you know, often been built without thinking about its potential detrimental effects on our brains and and our mental health. And so that's really um an important challenge is to frame things correctly and 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 work on building a healthier technology for us to interface with. So, you know, we're not really starting from zero, like technology didn't exist and we're creating it. We're doing it in the context of what already um is, is out there. So that that's one challenge that that we really take to heart.
1: We all have cell phones and they have become integral to our life. Are there what do you foresee as far as apps go for being therapeutic? Is it is is there a time uh, coming up in the next few years where you know our iPhone will be our therapeutic device?
2: I believe so. I mean that's exactly what we're working on. So some of the closed loop video games that we're creating use mobile devices like phones and tablets. Um, we currently are in uh, the process of seeking FDA approval uh, for the first video game I created, NeuroRacer, which has been developed into a much better game by um, Achille, a company that I co-founded now, now several years ago. Um, and this game is, is um, what we hope will become approved as the first ever non-drug treatment for ADHD, uh, the first ever prescribable video game, and the first of a new class of medicine that we uh, call digital medicine. And um, this could be used on an on an iPhone um, or you know m- many other uh, mobile devices we're trying to really make this as accessible as we can as a new type of medicine that will be prescribed uh, by a doctor and and used um, you know as either a replacement or an adjunct to existing pharmaceutical treatment so yeah, we're, we're really trying to take the most rigorous path forward in terms of our scientific validation to show that d- these tools are actually medicine.
1: Last question. If there's just one powerful statement that you could share to people at the Zero Mental Health Symposium and to our listeners today, what would you tell
2: them? Well, you know, I, I think there's going to be a wide variety of views about technology, um, how it challenges us, how people feel about video games, how people think about the future of virtual reality and, and artificial intelligence. And I would just encourage everyone to uh, keep an open mind and to think about uh, the promise of this technology to really um, not just be neutral and not harm us, but to actually um, improve how we think and, and to elevate how our minds work. So just you know, keep an open mind and 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 try to look into this, um, what I think is a really exciting future.
1: Dr. Ghazali, thank you so much for your insight into how technology can be positioned not just to entertain, delight us, and to help us communicate, but to really elevate our minds. If you're interested in seeing Dr. Ghazali at the ZERO Mental Health Symposium, visit zerosymposium.org. Our program was produced today by the super fantastic Corbin Pierce. Okay, go do good things.